A husband and wife are having some disagreements. I know that's hard to imagine, but please try and imagine that with me. And they were responding by giving each other uh, the silent treatment. The next day, the man had an early business flight and not wanting to be the first to break the silence, wrote on a piece of paper and gave it to his wife, please wake me up at 5 a.m. He did wake up at 7 a.m. and was absolutely furious and leapt out of bed in order to find his wife. And as he did, he noticed a piece of paper by the side of his bed. It said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. (laughs) How do we cope when God is silent? How do we cope when we long to hear something and there's just nothing? How do we cope when the air seems filled only with the echo of our own voice? Well, that's been the journey that we've been on, and sometimes we've had to recognize that we're asking for the wrong thing, and very simply, God says, I'm God, uh, and you're not, and I'm saying, no. And then the last time, a fortnight or so ago, three weeks ago now, I think, was it, um, when we looked at uh, prayer, sometimes we're asking, and, and we're asking for what is seemingly the right thing, but the timing's all wrong. And God says, slow. And we talked about a, a, a delay, not being a denial, and asking God to help us to see the difference between when he's saying no and when he's saying wait. And then there are times when it's not that we're asking for the wrong thing or, or necessarily that the timing is wrong, but there is something wrong, and what's wrong is us. The wrong's in you or in me. And it's that third scenario that I want us just to pause on for a moment. It's, it's a hard place to pause because none of us like to think that there are things that are wrong in us. If it's not working, there are going to be a myriad of reasons before the reason is ourselves. We have to face this morning, I think, that it's God's goal in our lives And he will do everything to get us there. It's God's goal. And that goal, before I say what it is, is so important to God that he'll never overlook it. He'll never forget it. He'll never stop at pursuing it. He'll even not answer our prayers in order to reach that goal. That goal is to make us holy. Way back in the least read book of the Bible, almost, the book of Leviticus, God sets out his store for the future. And God says, the thing is, above all else, I I want you to be holy because I am holy. That's my goal for your life. That's my pursuit for you. That's my purpose for you in its greatest sense. He wants us to be holy because he is holy. He wants us to be like him to share his heart, to think his ways, to speak his words, to embody his truth. He wants us to become like him. He wants our characters to be like his character, our emotions to be conformed to his ways. And that matters to him so much, he may even not answer our prayers in order to pursue that goal in our lives. Sometimes we think that God's uh, goal for our lives is to make us uh, happy. We kind of wish it was. God's goal is to make us holy. 
But pause for a moment before we get the wrong end of the stick about what it might mean to be holy. Holy is a, is a word that's a churchy word that's been full of all kinds of things. Holiness is, is the, the not watching telly on the Sunday and holiness is the, uh, you know, even removing, I think I've said before, even removing the swing from the budgie cage lest the budgie enjoy himself on a Sunday. Uh, and holy is a whole lot of things you just must not do. And it's defined by what you shouldn't do. And it's very negative and it's very Victorian and it's very oppressive in the way we've thought to understand it traditionally. If you've got a Bible there in front of you, just open it up, would you, uh, to Isaiah chapter 30, uh, 35. Isaiah chapter 35. And it's uh, interesting because it's... uh, gives us a little glimpse about what might be expected on the highway that's there, the highway of holiness. What, if, if you were to enter a door and the door was marked holy, what might you expect to find uh, inside? Isaiah 35, uh, page, oh, here we go, page 719, there we go. And uh, if you look uh, just down the verses to verse 8, there's a highway that's there. And it's called the, the way of uh, holiness. The way of holiness. So what do you expect to find on this way of holiness, this way of the Lord? Well, the unclean won't journey on it, so you'd expect that. This is a holy way, so if you're not holy, you won't be uh, found there. It's a way for those who walk in that way, capital W. The same way Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Wicked fools won't go about on it. Well, so far so good. That's what we'd expect. Uh, The way of holiness is for those walking a holy way. Verse 9, though. This will be a place, a way, a highway of peace. No lion will be there, nor will there be any ferocious beast uh, on it. They'll not be found there. Uh, typical uh, language of a lion and a lesser animal. The lion laying down with the lamb is an Old Testament metaphor for the presence, the peace, the shalom of God, where all works well together. The way of holiness is a life that works well together. A life that is as it was supposed to be, where the lion did lie down with uh, the lamb. It's a way of peace, not just the absence of war, but a, a peace within when every part of who I am fits together and works according to the way that it was made by God to uh, live and to, to be. A way of peace. And if we go on, verse 10, and the redeemed of the Lord will return and then enter Zion with. There'll be singing, there'll be joy, everlasting joy will crown their heads, there'll be gladness that will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. The very things that we all strive for, the very things in our lives that we long to be present, are those things that are found on the way of holiness. Why? Because holiness leads us into Zion, or in other words, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was important because it was understood to be the place where God kept his presence. It is all of those things. Because it is the road, it is the journey that takes us into the presence of God. Holiness is the life you've wanted, found in the presence of God. 
And we must do all that we can to banish all the images of holiness that actually stand in the way of us entering God's fullness rather than usher us into it. That's what holiness is. And if that's what holiness is, then I'm delighted that God would say, I long for you to be holy like me. I long for you to be fitted together in perfect unison with yourself and with me and with your other relationships as you were made to be. Because there in that place is joy and peace, singing and everlasting joy that crowns our heads with sorrow and sighing flee away. For you good King James scholars, you will know that in thy presence there is fullness of joy. Not a verse you can find in the NIV interested or not in language that you might recognize. Psalm 16, verse 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And then towards the end of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, uh, it says, without holiness, without walking this way, you will not see or you will not find the Lord. Holiness then, uh, are so different from what we've imagined it, but yet the central call on our lives. God wants us, above all else, to be holy. And he will do everything to create that in us, even not answering our prayers. And so we see it time and time again, this goal that we would be like him. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, talking about God choosing us before the creation of the world to be what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. And 1 Peter 1.15, you're called to be holy, just as God himself is holy. And Romans 8 verse 29, a more familiar verse to us about God choosing us and calling us out of this world. Those God foreknew, he predestined, he planned, he planned what? That we might be conformed to the likeness of his Son. In other words, this thread that runs right through the Bible is for us to be holy. And if that language creates all kinds of difficulties for us, let's use the other uh, side of the same coin. The thread that runs right through the Bible is God wants us to be like him. What's God like? We see that clearest in Jesus. God wants you to be like Jesus. You might turn to the person next to you and wonder how they're doing. No, okay, don't do that. No, that didn't grab you, obviously. There wasn't a mass movement suddenly. Uh, It was as if I was speaking momentarily a foreign language that none of us here understood. Uh, 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 If not, you might ask yourself, how much am I like Jesus? Here I am with all my prayers. Very nice they might be. And God's going, okay, how much are you like my son? Because that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm interested about. That's what I'm trying to weave in your life. Imagine uh, you've been on holiday for a couple of weeks and uh, your grass is about eight inches high. You'd hope that someone would mow your lawn while you were away, but they hadn't done it and you'd come back. And you know that your little fly mow will now no longer be up to the job to mow your, to mow your grass. Your neighbour, though, has a big petrol-powered beast and you've been envious of it for many years. And your neighbour, being a generous soul, has said, if you ever want to borrow my lawnmower, snigger, 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 as he sees your little fly mow, if you ever want to borrow my lawnmower, then please do. I'd be very happy to loan it to you. So you think, now is the moment to take up this kind offer and you walk up your neighbour's path rehearsing your request to borrow the lawnmower. 
As you are rehearsing your request, the most beloved aspect of your neighbor's life, the little dash hound, comes out to meet you. You hate this dash hound with a hatred you cannot express. It messes on your lawn, it howls at night, and every time you go to your neighbor, it snaps around your trousers, which is exactly what it's doing at this present moment. And you've had a lot of patience over the years. But as you're rehearsing your speech and he's snapping around your trousers, you decide that the best way to resolve the pressure of this situation is to give the little dash hound a quick... (laughs) A quick... And you did. And there was an audible yelp. And for a moment, this dash hound defied the law of gravity. You looked up to see that your neighbour had already answered the door. Is it a good moment to ask for the lawnmower? How many times are we knocking on the door of heaven, but the moment's all wrong, because there's something wrong in us. We've done our own thing. We've kicked the dash hound, metaphorically, or literally. And then we come to ask, and the moment is all wrong. There is a necessary condition of asking. Who may ascend? Who may go up the hill of the Lord? What hill is that? It's the hill at the center of Jerusalem. It's the hill where God's presence was understood to rest. Who may stand in this holy place? It was a place that would become the place of the temple that Jesus years later would call a house of prayer. Who would go up the hill to pray? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You cannot kick the dash hand on the way up to pray as much as you'd like to. The prayer of a righteous man is what? Powerful and effective. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. And so if we're serious about becoming powerful prayers, we need to be serious about living the life. Because so often the request might be right and the timing might be okay, but the wrong is in me. And I wonder why God's not as interested in what I'm saying as I think he should be. It's because he has his own agenda. And his agenda is that I become like Jesus. And he will not rest at any opportunity to help conform me to be like Jesus. He will even not answer my prayers in order that I might become more like him. So the Bible highlights around eight or so. I'm going to share eight with you. And you're thinking, crumbs, eight, if that's two minutes each, that's a long time. Uh, Eight uh, different ways. The Bible uh, uh, offers us the same thing. That if you're not pursuing holiness, then don't expect God to answer your prayers. Not because God's not interested in you or not interested in what you're saying, but he longs for you to become holy because then you will be who you were always supposed uh, to be. So number one, harboring sin. Harboring sin. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The Lord would not have listened. But your iniquities... Uh, it says in Isaiah, have what? Separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. He will not hear. 
Are we brave enough this morning with the reality in our life experience that there are times when we sense God's not hearing our prayer to look inside our lives? What is in me that God may be choosing out of his silence to put his finger on now? Secondly, the Bible says that idolatry is another uh, barrier. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me? Should I still let them pray? No, no, absolutely. It's a rhetorical question, but that's exactly the answer that it suggests. How can I let them pray as if I am the object of their worship and their devotion when they have set up idols, notice, in their hearts? We think we're too sophisticated for idolatry, but we all have idols in our hearts. How can we expect the one we are to love with all our hearts grant our requests when he sees rival loves already within us? Would a sovereign grant the petition of an unloyal subject? Would a lover release her treasures to her beloved even though she's discovered the beloved secretly treasures another. No. Which is why the Bible says, delight yourself. Focus the whole of your life. Put all your eggs in this one basket. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your hearts. Thirdly, lack of uh, obedience. The third barrier. Is there something in my life where God's calling me so clearly and yet I'm still saying no or I'm still acting like I'm not listening? How many times are we not listening to God and complaining that he's not listening uh, to us? If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Why? Because we obey his commands. A lack of uh, compassion. Here we go. Uh, Number four, a lack of compassion. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. George Muller had an incredibly powerful prayer life. On his death, it was discovered that out of his personal gifts, uh, he'd given away £81,000, an extraordinary amount of money in those days. He'd left £60 uh, uh, pounds plus worth his value of books and so on, and left an estimated over £100,000 away. His compassion, his generosity might have been the door that had unlocked for him such a powerful prayer life. Lack of truth. God desires truth in our inner parts, says the psalmist. And all of these things, we can go through them very quickly and in our our heads. What's God saying to me? What's God saying to you about these things? Do I have enough courage to face the reality that maybe God's not answering a prayer of mine because there's still something wrong in me? And so we could go on, relational uh, conflict. Number six, even though, uh, about coming to worship and there being things not right, go sort it out. Do all you can to sort it out out, then come back. This is an alarming verse that puts it a bit more poignantly. If you're a husband, wives don't snigger, bear with us. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So we come to God and we say, God, why are you not answering my prayers? And he says, take a look at your marriage. I don't want to look at my marriage. I just want you to answer my prayers. God says, take a look at your marriage. Now, it's reciprocal. Ladies, the same. Am Am I willing? Am I willing to push aside my frustration with God that he's been deaf? Uh, in my experience, am I willing to push aside all my prejudice that there must be uh, a reason that God's not doing this because he's not interested in me, because he doesn't care about me, because this is wrong and because that's wrong? Am I willing to say, maybe the wrong is me? Maybe the wrong is me. Forgiveness. Am I holding someone when I should be letting them go? Is God saying, now is the time to let that person go? Selfishness. James addresses this, doesn't he? He says, you you ask and you don't receive because you ask with all the wrong motives. We've looked at this verse before, earlier on in the year. And so there we go. And we could go on and on. There's probably a lot more examples than, than, than just those. And so a very simple question this morning is that many of us will know that we have prayers that are not yet being answered. And we can, I suspect, and will have already built a number of defences in our lives to cope with God not answering. Probably the last place we will choose to look is ourselves. Is ourselves. So what might our response be in just five minutes? What might our response be? Compare is the first word. Compare with who? Compare with the person next to you if you like. That might make you feel a bit better. It might not. But comparisons are always in error unless it's with Jesus. Compare yourself with the God that you are supposed to be like. And as I look at Jesus and I look at Simon, what are the major points of disconnection? And what does God say to me as I look at those major points of disconnection? And he calls me to be more like him. And we're so used to being the way we are, and we're so used to Jesus being the way he is, but it's very easy to be comfortable with it all. And then David, even though he was the king, prayed this incredible prayer. God, would you search me? And God, would you help me see those things in me that are offensive to you, that are against your purpose, that are against this way of holiness, that I am so familiar with, that I cannot see them for myself. It's a dangerous prayer, but a powerful one. And if you pray that prayer with all your heart, you will begin to see things about your life that you haven't seen maybe for a long time or maybe you've never seen at all. And it's not always very pleasant. We never really want to look in the mirror and see who we really are. We spend a lot of time convincing others that we're not who we really are and convincing ourselves of the same. And it's a hard journey. 
But these are the kind of prayers that God will answer. Why? So that He condemn us and make us feel miserable? No, the Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ. Someone say hallelujah very quick. Because there isn't. But He raises these things in our lives so that we can confess them. And He longs for us to confess them. A, that He can forgive us. And B, as this verse says, that He can cleanse us, clean us from everything that is unrighteous. Why? That we might become a bit more holy. Why? That we might know a bit more peace and a bit more of the joy and a bit more of the coming kingdom might be shown in our lives. If you're looking at things this morning and it's making you feel depressed and judged, God's not doing that. God brings things to clear them out as we confess them. So compare. Compare with who? Compare only with Jesus. Confess everything you begin to see about what's going on in your life. And commit. Repent. Turn around. Commit to living a different kind of way. To the woman caught in adultery, Jesus says, look, it's dead simple. I'm the Messiah that forgives and cleanses. I don't condemn you, but do what? Go and sin. Don't do that again. Leave that way of living. What are the ways of living God wants me to leave behind so that He might improve my prayer life? And fourthly, because He's a fantastically merciful God, He will help us in every way. Call on God for help. Call on God for help. Because He longs. He longs for us to be like Him. It would be a different kind of church if we were all like Jesus, wouldn't it? It calls us to be like him. And what's the things that we're longing, uh, are on our hearts and we're longing to God for him to do? Seem the whole world to us. They are in this context of something bigger and something better that God wants to do. And God says, look, if I give you that, I'll lose your attention. Well, I've got your attention. Well, I've got your attention. This is what I'm saying. So what is God saying? I don't don't know what it is for you, but unless you're perfect, and in 1 John it says, if you're sitting there thinking you're perfect, you're a liar and the truth isn't within you, which are rather strong words from God's word to us. We know we're not perfect but we probably think we're not bad. And in one sense, we might not be bad. But we're not holy either. And we're not like him as we should. And for all our praying, God might be saying through this, look, look, there are these things in you I want to sort out. I want to convict you that I might cleanse you. I want you to call on me and receive that cleansing and then leave that way of life and live more like me. And then the right prayer, the right time. And with you being in the right way, the answer will come. So he who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. Are being transformed. What is the last thing in your life you're conscious of God changing or transforming? If you have to go back several months or several years, that highlights something of God's current work in us. What was the last thing that God changed? 
you were going this way, and suddenly you saw it for what it was. And God touched you, cleansed you, renewed you, and you went this way. Okay, sometimes you slip back and you went that way again, but you went this way. When was the last time that happened? Maybe the prayer that's on your heart just now, and you're crying out to God for him to do something. Maybe God's saying, well, just while I've got your attention, just while I've got your attention, remember this. I want to do this in your life. Be holy as I am holy. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may go up to the place of prayer? Clean hands and a pure heart.